Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Rich Vreeland, also known as Disasterpiece. We talk at length about his story, composing music for games like Fez, Hyper Light Drifter, and more, as well as seizing opportunities, the business side of games, and Rich shares plenty of advice for anyone interested in the video game industry. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. And now, video game composer Rich Vreeland. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Indie Insider, and today... I'm extremely excited to be talking with Rich Vreeland, also known as Disaster Peace. Rich, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I've been really looking forward to talking with you. You, of course, um, are perhaps known by many people for your video game music. You are a composer, um, and you've worked on games such as uh, Fez uh, and Hyper Light Drifter, which is uh, one that I recently absolutely loved, so... Um, I'm a fan of yours. I'm excited to chat with you today. Sweet. Let's chat. Let's chat. So <laughs> why don't you start at the beginning? Uh, tell me a little bit about you know yourself, who you are, and how you got into composing music for video games. Sure. Um, you know, for me, uh, I guess growing up, you know, playing lots of games um, is something that I, that I took an interest in. Um, and then I took up guitar in high school started uh you know playing a lot and coming up with different sorts of ideas and um i was kind of on a different path um, career-wise and passion-wise you know my first my first real creative interest was was uh design graphic design okay and so that was kind of um that was kind of the trajectory that i was on for a while and i was actually in school for that um and due to um certain circumstances i kind of found myself in a major that was sort of adjacent to what I wanted to be doing at the time and, and not quite right for me. Okay. And uh, I, I was unable to transfer. There's like a crazy waiting list. And all the while I was like spending more and more time, um, you know, playing guitar and, and starting to do some recording and, and writing lots of music. And uh, um, my sister, who's uh, a year younger than me, than me, um, she uh, is also into music and she actually had already gone off and gone to music school. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that, uh, you know, this might've been kind of a blessing in disguise that, uh, maybe I, maybe I ought to, uh, change gears a little bit and, and try to shift into, into a career in music. That's fantastic. So, okay. You, you were growing up playing games. So this was something that was already, a part of who you were, something that you enjoyed personally, right? Yeah. What sort of games did you play as a kid? What what resonated with you? What interested you? Um, I played I played a lot of sports games. Um, okay. I definitely played kind of the um, you know the most kind of prevalent games of the time. Um, my my parents had a Nintendo, and uh, so growing up, I I was exposed to that, and you know I played my fair share of you know, Mario Brothers and Zelda <laughs> sure. and all that kind of stuff. But but I, I was always interest, interested in sports, and so I played uh, played a lot of uh, football and ice hockey games growing up. Um, and it wasn't until, like, later, probably wasn't until I was uh, maybe 10 or 11 or 12 that I discovered, like, RPGs and, you know, kind of got into maybe some of the more, maybe some of the more musically oriented games. Did you ever notice the music in games when you were younger? Was that important to you? I think I did. It's interesting because I, I, my relationship to music was, I think for the most part, fairly subconscious until I started playing guitar in sure. high school. So, I mean, I know that growing up, I, I had a tendency to do things like um, slap my hands on my belly or on, uh, <laughs> on desks, clack my teeth. Um, I, 
in, in, uh, in elementary school, um, I remember, I think it was like second or third grade that, uh, I would get in trouble for, for doing this. And, uh, my neighbors in class had, uh, they had, they had relatively low tolerance for me because I was always, I was always banging on stuff. Um, so I knew that, you know, there, there was some, there was some musical part of me that was, uh, maybe just waiting to, to be, uh, explored. Okay. And you, you said you picked up playing guitar in high school. I also picked up playing guitar in high school for the reason I think most guys do, which is to impress the girls at your high school. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you were probably more uh, successful in your guitar playing than I was though. Uh, I mean, I, I never felt like I, I excelled at playing the guitar from a technical standpoint. Okay. Um, what I, what I really liked about guitar and what I think I got a lot out of it, um, uh, was, was just, um, uh, using it as a creative tool, as an, as an outlet, as a way to express myself, to come up with ideas. And I felt like when I started, I had quite a lot of, um, pent up creative energy. Um, because, you know, I think for a long time I was, you know, being creative, but, but mostly in the visual realm. And so. Um, I think, you know, and especially early on, I, um, had a hard time keeping up with my own impulse impulses to come up with things. And so that was kind of what, that was kind of what led me, um, towards technology, which helped me to kind of get my ideas down quicker. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were actually going to school for graphic design. You were really pursuing this career before you shifted. Yeah, it was pretty serious. Um, you know, it started with me drawing as a kid. I did a lot of doodles and I also loved to, um, to, to keep myself entertained. I would make up fictional, uh, businesses and things and, you know, draw, draw logos and all sorts (laughs) of stuff. I used to, when I was a kid, I, when we'd go to um, my grandparents' house, I used to go on Microsoft Word and, uh, load up templates, the Microsoft Word templates for like, um, business certificates and like timesheets. Oh, sure. And I like put, I put all like my own like made up information in them and like uh, use clip art as like, you know, logos and stuff. And, uh, you know, my, my mom also was a, is a graphic designer. So I was surrounded by that sort of thing. Um, so that was kind of one of the, that was one of the things that I early on got into as a way of like being creative. So then, I mean, you made this major shift into kind of pursuing music more seriously. How did your family feel about that? How did the people around you feel about that? They're pretty supportive? Yeah, they were very supportive. I think, you know, and I, I was already going into a creative field, albeit one that's probably a little bit more predictable. Um, maybe there's more <laughs> um, more assurances of there being work or something. But um, yeah, I mean, my, my family has been great super supportive um and but you know pragmatic too and you know just you know reiterating the importance of you know not putting your eggs all in one basket and you know being uh um just being aware of the you know the risk involved with doing something like that sure do you think your family has a sense of i'll say how successful your career has been so far or how much your work has meant to so many people um, yeah, I think sometimes it, it gets exaggerated actually, <laughs> you know, they think I'm a, like a big celebrity or something, but, uh, no, I mean, they've, they've been, uh, they've always been really supportive. <laughs> sure. Well, very cool. All right. So you made the shift into music. How do you get from there to making the music for your first video game? So I, you know, I started making music, started recording stuff, um, and I had this uh, had this hobby as a teenager called e wrestling, which is kind of this like online. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's not really like it's not really like fantasy sports. It's more like role playing. Um, you'd you'd create your own character, a wrestler, of course, um, okay. and uh, you'd go up against other people who had their own wrestlers in this sort of you know federation or organization and. Uh, the people who run this organization would kind of create these matches and they'd pit you against other people. And then you'd have to, you'd have to do a bunch of writing, um, in that, you know, in, in the role of that character. 
and depending on the style of organization, it would be judged or they would just decide, you know, what kind of storyline they wanted to evolve at the actual, well, not actual, the fictional sort of, the fictional events that would go down, you know, weekly where all the different wrestlers would have their matches and they would, you know, the, the organizers would write these matches. And so I got kind of involved in this community um, and found it really kind of, um, uh, kind of stimulating and empowering in a certain way because I, you know, I got to be really creative, coming up with a character, writing storylines, but also, you know, I got to do artwork um, and kind of got to, got to hone that skill. I started doing artwork for other people who were doing e-wrestling. Okay. I, I started doing websites for people. Um, and this all started probably, you know, when I was um, pretty young, maybe 13. Um, oh, wow. All right. So I started doing work for people on the Internet. And, and so, um, you know, I was kind of involved with this community for maybe four or five years. And towards the tail end of that, you know, the, you know, there were, you know, community message boards and things like that. And, you know, I started posting my music to, to these communities um, and, you know, just 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 to get feedback because early on, you know, it was really, um, it was really important and valuable for me to just bounce my ideas off people and see how they reacted to it. And I think it helped me, it helped me figure out what my music was about and how people related to it. I think that was really helpful for me. And so, um, there, you know, one of these forums, someone just kind of randomly was like, Hey, I, um, I work at a software company that does that we make mobile games and we're looking for someone to do music and uh, I responded to to the to this ad and I sent them some of my stuff um, and this was probably like 2005 or 2006 okay so this was before smartphones hit so you know the the spec for this was to do a soundtrack and sound effects too just using MIDI files so it was sure. kind of a kind of a different uh, different time period, but uh, I mean that was <laughs> that was kind of my first exposure to uh, to working in games. So had you worked with MIDI files and you know computer generated music before, or was everything you were doing, um, I guess, were you recording everything uh, in real life? I'll say. What do you? Yeah. Well, when I started, I was just recording stuff on cassette tape, right, um, and. But shortly after that, I kind of discovered music. So I started to discover music software. Um, I had some really kind of basic programs. I had one that did drum tracking, and then I kind of, and then GarageBand came out. Apple put out GarageBand, and um, you know, I I had that pretty much from the beginning, since its inception. Um, so I was using that to record. But then I I stumbled into this software that allowed me to. Um, uh, store my guitar ideas as as tablature uh, on the on the computer, and then it had um, it had MIDI playback and it had MIDI export, and so I kind of stumbled into this ability to have um, to create MIDI files without really knowing what I was doing. <laughs> so I I actually had like a bunch of MIDI files to show them, and so I think it made me probably more um, palatable for for that job. <laughs> sure. So did they pay you to do the sound effects and make music? Was that a paid gig for you? It was. Wow. So, all right. so that was my first, you know, my first gig and it was paid. So it was, um, it was pretty exciting because I was only, I think I was only 19 at the time. Um, so, you know, getting paid for something when, you know, income is, is a scarcity was, was really exciting. And, uh, you know, I just, I started to realize that, you know, maybe, maybe I could make a career out of this. What was that app? The first one I ever worked on um, was called Greater Evil, evil like E V I L L E, and then <laughs> colon zombies. <laughs> it was like a turn-based. It was a turn-based like zombie. Uh, what's it called? Uh, like a tactics style. Um, you know, real time uh, turn based like strategy game. Okay. And it never came out, but uh, oh, okay. I got to write. I got to basically design a bunch of sound effects and maybe one or two stingers like jingles using MIDI, which was very unusual 
at the time for me trying to figure out how to do that. Um, lots of, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the general MIDI s sound bank, it like on, you know, especially on older keyboards, you know, you'd have like a hundred and I don't know, 26 instruments. And uh, towards the higher numbers, you'd have like the sound of a bird tweeting and an ambulance siren and <laughs> a helicopter and a gunshot and hand clap. And so I had to use those sort of sounds to like approximate the sounds of other things like, you know, zombie groaning and, oh wow, uh, you know, chainsaw, things like that. <laughs> so it was pretty interesting. Um, you got creative with it though. It sounds like you, you made something work. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, that company ended up rehiring me for a couple of other gigs, um, which was good at the time for me. And uh, none of the, uh, I think one of, one of those games came out with my work in it. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a licensed version of Press Your Luck, which is a uh, old, it's an old, uh, what's it called, game show from the late 70s, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. But uh, they, uh, that company's long gone <laughs> at this point. <laughs> you know what? That's not so surprising. It happens to a lot of them. Yeah. Um, okay. So then it sounds like you kind of just stumbled into this job because you were part of a you know, completely unrelated community, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, then how do you go from there to building a career on this? Um, good question. Well, so right, <laughs> right around the time that I got this gig, I was already at Berkeley College of Music, so I was studying music. And um, um, hmm, I, you know, this definitely... Um, this definitely cultivated my interest in working on music for games. But at the okay. same time, you know, I was writing original music that was inspired by games. I was, I was getting into um, making chip music. And I had already had maybe one or two albums at that point. And so being in Boston was great. Uh, being, in the, being in the school community was great because I got involved with a video game music club at my college. Um, and, you know, a lot of opportunities came out of that. And I also... Um, I also, you know, there's a there's a thriving music community there because of the the music schools, and so I got in touch with a uh, a collective of musicians there who were putting on concerts, uh, chip music concerts. So oh wow! So for a number of years, I um, I played shows in Boston with that group, um, and so between that and the the video game music club, which which was great, I, I it helped a lot, and I was able that one actually help me get a couple of internships oh okay uh, i'll tell you chiptune concert seems like something that would happen in boston like, yeah i can just picture that <laughs> totally um it seems like such a niche thing but also i mean that's kind of what you've built a lot of your work upon it's kind of that that chiptune idea there has to be an audience that came out for that right um yeah there's definitely an audience and it's definitely a niche um you know it was there before i got involved and it continues to be there as I've kind of moved away from it. Sure. Um, um, but I think just the, the regularity of our doing shows kind of, we, we kind of helped cultivate an audience there. You know, I saw in the time that I was involved with, um, the, the name of the group was Boston 8-Bit, and I think they're still doing stuff. Um, in the time that I was there, you know, I saw that, I saw the audience for that increase um, pretty significantly. I think when it started, it was pretty sparse you know right you'd get maybe 10 15 people at shows mm -hmm. by the time i left boston we were probably drawing closer to 75 50 50 to 75 people oh wow um and you know just to just to set the record straight you know in boston there's a million shows like every day because right there's so many music students there so it's 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 hard to get people to come out and, and see your shows, um, but you know there's a very dedicated small group of people who loved the community and they 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 came to all the shows and so you know we got to we got to know them on a first hand basis which was really cool, first first name basis. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's very cool. So yeah. you are, I guess I'll say you are lucky that you were in Boston to do all of that because that just seems like such a great place to. Yeah, I guess maybe hone those skills, cultivate all those things outside of just the college, but like you said, in the community. Yeah, and just to figure out what I'm about. I mean, I, you know, I, I did live performance for a long time, probably maybe seven or eight years. 
And, um, you know, I met a lot of great people that way. Um, and it really, you know, allowed me to travel, which was really cool. And, um, you know, it's been, I've been, uh, uh, I feel really, I don't know, grateful, I guess. <laughs> sure. That's always a good thing. And it's kind of nice for me to hear that, you know, you're not necessarily just some guy sitting behind a computer making music, uh, but you're actually getting out there. You actually have done live performances. I think, you know, you still do some live performances um, and you have a stage presence as well. That's a fantastic aspect to what you, what you do as well. For sure. Uh, I'm actually in kind of a hiatus right now. I haven't really done any shows in the last couple of years. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an open-ended thing i might we'll see we'll see what happens but basically <laughs> i basically i i kind of struggling with it a little bit and you know it, it's it requires such dedication to and um practice to 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 really perform at a high level and, absolutely and, uh, i um i you know I, i'm hard on myself and uh it's easier to meet some of those expectations when it's when you're working um you know when you're working uh asynchronously like you're working at home um and you're spending you know days and weeks on stuff but when you're you know on stage you know it's it's all right out there so it's uh can be pretty um pretty intimidating sure i understand that um i went to school for uh, vocal performance in music and theater initially um so yeah it's it's definitely hard and it's it's so much harder when i imagine when you are performing something that you yourself have created right um i, I don't I, know yeah maybe i think i think being on stage alone is is probably the thing that uh is the scariest um you're not scary it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure on yourself um to not make mistakes i guess or to to maybe reach a certain level of um quality well, you kind of mentioned um, when we were talking about playing guitar in high school, how you never felt like you got, you know, so t technically good at the guitar. Uh, it sounds like you, you probably hold yourself to a pretty high standard. How do you navigate, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, meeting your own expectations for yourself? Um, I, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think I try to be realistic. And, but I also try to, I also try to move in the direction of, of things that kind of energize me and motivate me. And, um, you know, practicing guitar for hours on end is never something that I found particularly fun. Sure. And so I think that's part of why I've kind of gravitated away from doing that. And, uh, you know, there's also a thread with me, which is that I've, I think I've always been drawn towards new new approaches to things and so i'm always looking for new ways to to express myself creatively trying new creative processes you know messing with new instruments um i just i like to explore and that's always been a thing for me so you know after guitar i played i did i did some shows playing piano for a while and singing and took vocal lessons oh great um lately i've been playing a lot of drums um so yeah, I mean, I'm just always kind of dabbling and stuff. Hmm. Is there anything you've, you said lately drums, but is there anything, you know, very recently that has been energizing you or that interests you, whether you've had a chance to mess with it yourself or not? Um, anything that's been, you know, I don't know, lighting that fire in you a bit? Uh, anything that's been lighting my fire recently creatively? Uh, sure. Um, hmm. It's been kind of a weird period for me. Um would say lately i've just been trying to get through my projects <laughs> and, <laughs> and and stay sane and, and relatively content um but uh i've been kind of dabbling in some new areas lately um you know like i said i've been playing a lot of drums which has been it's been really fun and interesting um cool. i i've been looking into um I've been looking into pure data a bit recently and, and before that super collider. Oh, okay. Um, so just been trying to think about, um, if there are, if there are ways out there that beyond what I've done in the past with procedural music, if there are, you know, if there are ways for me to kind of expand and explore, 
but I'm, I think I'm also, I also tend to look for something that feels natural to me, that feels like I'm not going to put in, you know, a year of time, like, you know, months and months or even longer into something and then feel like the output is not satisfactory for what I'm looking to get out of it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always like looking at new stuff and, and trying to figure out if it's the right fit for me as far as what I, what I want to do next. Sure. Um, and then I also have some things that are like, that I've started that are on the back burner that I'd like to probably come back to. One, one thing is that I have probably like seven to 10 songs that I've worked on on and off for the last couple of years that are um, at the piano with vocals. And that's something that I'd like to, to dive back into at some point. But for the time being, I have, um, I have a couple of pretty cool projects that uh, I'm trying to focus on. Very nice. So we can hopefully see a solo piano album from you sometime in the future, right? Yeah. Well, this, I actually have <laughs> I actually have two piano albums coming out. I have one that's coming out much sooner than the the personal vocal one. Oh, um, okay. Which I'm excited about. It's a uh, it's an instrumental album that I recorded with um, with a concert pianist. And, oh, uh, wow. It's it's uh, I worked with an arranger as well who arranged some of my music for piano from different projects over the years. Um, so I'm pretty excited to put that one out there soon. That's awesome. Very cool. That sounds like a cool project. Yeah, it was neat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got a bit sidetracked talking to you. You're a very interesting guy. I like your artistic approach to things and your creativity. So um, i having fun chatting with you, but I want to get back to your personal story just for a bit. Um, you said that you, you know, were working on some smaller projects, and you actually got set up with some internships. Was that kind of a, a next step for you, working with those internships with bigger companies? Um, yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely that was definitely a, a next step for me. Um, it's it definitely propelled my career forward and, and opened up um, some new opportunities. Um, Let's see. When I was when I was at Berkeley, um, I was fortunate enough to apply for and get two internships, and they were they were very different from each other. Um, one was uh, uh, one was like a freelance internship with a studio called Pi, that was based out of Texas, and they were they were working on games for Hudson. Um, and so when I was in college, I actually got to work on um, on a Bomberman title, which is pretty cool. Oh wow! Um, and uh, so I worked on that with uh, with another student, and we kind of just split split the uh, split the responsibilities. Um, and then the other internship was um, was was at MIT, and MIT has a has a program called Game Lab, where they bring in students to uh, to work to to kind of pair off and. Uh, make games over the course of a couple of months and usually it has sort of like an educational slant like there's a there's some kind of research question that each team is trying to answer um, okay. and there's like an embedded there's like an embedded uh you know graduate student who's kind of um, part of that process and so when i was there at mit i got to work with a um uh, uh i should say that the the program I, I don't know what's going on with it now but for a long time it was funded in part by the Singaporean government. So it would be like probably like 80, 85% Singaporean students. And then the rest would be people who were studying locally in, in Boston and, and, and maybe RISD like Rhode Island school design for artists and stuff. Okay. So I got, I got kind of paired up with, um, with those folks and, uh, it was a really cool experience. You know, I got to, I got to experience what it was like to commute, uh, you know, and work at a game studio basically. Um, you know, be and also be the the audio lead on a project, and you know, f- kind of get a sense of what all the ramifications of that are. So you know, it was a really valuable, uh, that was a really valuable experience for me. Absolutely. So then, you're getting all this experience. You're you know meeting a lot of new people. You're honing your skills. What was the first time where you composed music for a game and it felt like? the next level for you kind of uh, maybe even a breakthrough for you hmm um that's a good question i think 
it might have been on that project. Um, I got to do some kind of orchestral-ish music, and uh, <laughs> the the game lab department had access to a bunch of software, high end high end software that um, you know I didn't have as a student. I didn't have any money, so um, you know I got to kind of experiment with things like orchestral samples and stuff like that. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember there's this one track Let's see if i can remember the name of it <laughs> it's called ah. oops um it was called the earth's restoration so it was like one of the first times i got to kind of mess with i guess a more elaborate sound palette okay um i think up till that point i'd mostly been doing like chip music stuff or like like heavy rock type stuff so um yeah i I don't know i guess um that was that was a cool thing and uh um that that project we had to we had to work on two separate games that were um the same game but with different art (laughs) oh and there was there was a research question that was like you know does does having um does having a narrative change the i guess the um the how sticky a game is if it's trying to teach educational concepts um so one of one of the soundtracks is is more like it has more like acoustic sounding instruments and the other one is more just abstract synth type music excellent all right <laughs> i'm the abstract synth guy i love it so um that's my style especially in games i like it um so tell me, you're you're at this point in your education. At what point does this turn into a career for you? Um, I think, hmm, it probably doesn't turn into a career for me until I um, got a full time. I was offered a full time contract with a game studio in 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 Cambridge, right outside of Boston. Okay. So up until that point, I had been working on games here and there, doing freelance, uh, freelance work. Um, and it was, um, you know, it was occasional. I was probably doing like a handful of projects a year. And so I was having to supplement that with a part-time job. Um, and so, you know, I maybe was flirting with the idea that I could do this. (laughs) But I wasn't entirely sure how sustainable it would be. Right. So it wasn't really until um, that was like probably the fall of 2010 and two things happened. The first thing that happened is I was performing a lot and with the Boston 8-Bit Collective, we we played a show in Montreal and um, I actually met the developers for Fez at that show. And, oh, uh, all right. And um, ended up talking with them and and uh ended up working on that game um which uh turned out to do really well (laughs) and uh and then working with this studio demiurge studios in cambridge on a game called shoot many robots and so for the next year or so um i i pretty much primarily focused on those two projects and so i was working full-time during the day at demiurge in cambridge doing sound design implementation music and, you know, kind of getting that feeling of what it's like to work at a game studio mm-hmm. and kind of realizing that I, working on, if I was going to work on a project for a long, long time, um, and especially if I'm doing like, you know, more of the rote sort of tasks, which I, I think sound design sometimes can feel a little bit rote to me. And that's just a personal feeling, especially when you're doing like, you know, lots of Foley and, uh, you know, footsteps and guns and stuff like that. Sure. Um, you know, that experience for me kind of helped me realize that maybe this wasn't the right thing for me or, you know, I, I'd really have to have to be really passionate about the project in order for that to be sustainable. Right. And, you know, that's how I felt about Fez. You know, I was working on Fez at night and I really, really felt passionate about that game. And so it came really easy to me. And there was a really kind of stark contrast between those two experiences where, you know, they were both really valuable and there were certainly things about working on Shoot Many Robots that I, that I enjoyed. But um, Fez was just such an effortless process, and um, 
I think that really pushed me in direction of being more independent and focusing my energy on doing music um, and, and working as a freelancer. So you are still technically a freelancer, right? You pick up projects as you want to. You aren't attached to any one team or company, correct? Yeah, I'm actually in, uh, I'm incorporating right now, but I'm still basically a freelancer. Yeah, <laughs> you're incorporating upon yourself, though, right? Yeah, as a as a human company. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very cool, very cool. Um, so yeah, I mean that was one of the games um, that I mentioned first was Fez, um, and obviously Fez has gone on to be a large part of the indie video game movement, and you know the current generation of what video games are um how did that feel when when that game came out and and was big and did really well uh it it was exhilarating i mean i'd never you know i'd never worked on anything even remotely as successful as that um i mean it single-handedly changed my entire career um because just of how popular and successful it was so i mean i can say very confidently that you know it's because of that game that i don't really have to look for work anymore like i've <laughs> it's it's given me the momentum that i needed to really kind of carve out my own niche and to be able to focus on you know solely on things that i care about um it's been it's been amazing i mean that that was that was um, maybe five years ago. It's it's nice to be asked about that just so that I can remember how <laughs> how how lucky I am and and you know how how great it's been. <laughs> you know, we've talked about that a couple times now. You seem like a really grateful guy. You seem very self aware of you know where you are, what you've achieved, and, and how you've achieved that. I mean, I think I've been in a very reflective mood lately. Um, I feel like my relationship to my work has been kind of shifting. And I'm getting a little older now. I've been I've been writing music for games now for over ten years, and so you know I'm getting to a place where I am just starting to reassess a lot of things in my life. I guess so. That's probably why it's been coming up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, um, I mean, you mentioned that you've been working in this industry for you know over ten years, but what did you mean by your relationship to your work has been shifting? What, what do you mean by that? I don't know. I, I think I, it's harder for me to get excited about stuff. And I don't know if that's just um, a product of, of age or just experience or what, but it, it, it certainly, um, uh, it can be harder to stay motivated. And, and also, I'm always trying to push myself into new areas. And so in some way, the bar just keeps getting higher and higher for myself. And my expectations keep getting higher. So um, to kind of maintain a certain level of quality that I'm comfortable with, um, it, it, it gets really tough. You know, it's that's I think that's maybe part of why I tend to I tend to move sideways as opposed to, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do another game. I'm going to do another Fez, but like better or something like <laughs> it's easier for me to not do that. It's easier for me to and maybe more interesting for me to branch out and try new things. So like right now I'm doing an orchestral soundtrack for a, for a film noir. Um, oh, wow. It's just one example of something that is, is like a new experience for me. Yeah. I, I had been reading just a little bit as I was doing my um, obligatory research on you before we spoke. Um, and you've done some uh, film compositions at this point. Is that something that's exciting to you right now moving into that industry? Um, the, the industry is the, is the thing that really doesn't excite me. Um, sure. It's kind of terrible. Uh, but <laughs> I, I do like the medium. Like I, I, I enjoy the medium. And so, and so, you know, that's what attracts me. There is a lot of, you know, really great films, obviously. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's different. Um, and it's the, it's unfortunate kind of the real world, the real world, uh, kind of, logistics of film it can be very stressful and kind of troubling um but um i have been i feel like there's been there's been a benefit a certain benefit for sure to, to 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 working on some films um i don't know i don't know if i'll continue to work on films at least not at any at least not at the rate that i'm 
people are kind of expecting me to. It's okay. like once you work on a film that's done well, um, there are so many people who are working on projects. Um, way, probably way more. I mean, well, there's a lot of games being made, but there's also a lot of films being made. And I think the, you know, the budgeting and, you know, the the potential for success is is it's it's a crapshoot at best i mean it's it might be even more nebulous than games um and yeah i don't know it's it, it people always expect really fast turnarounds you know you get i'll get contacted hey we want you to score our feature film and we have three weeks you know and we're, <laughs> we're scrambling we're desperate and we have no money help us and that's just kind of like the norm uh so it's just it's been a lot to deal with um I've had to like lawyer up and you know get basically find help in, in, in a lot of different ways just to right. just to kind of navigate the comp- the like in absurd complexity of of the film industry. Can I ask you um you mentioned that Fez was such a big part of you know your burgeoning career um did some of that happen after Fez took off too? Were people reaching out to you um, hoping for things from you or trying to get you involved in their project? Um, both, I guess, maybe in a positive and a negative way? For sure. I mean, a, a large majority of um, the people that I've worked with since Fez, you know, have um, have come to me because of that project. And, you know, uh, probably the two most important projects that I've, you know, the, the definitely the two most important projects I've worked on since Fez, Hyperlight Drifter and It Follows, you know, I, I formed really solid creative and personal relationships with those people. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on them with, I'm working with them on additional projects going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for most of my career, I was pretty much one and done with different, different people, different, different projects. And, uh, it's been, it's been uh, kind of a different phase for me to more about establishing relationships and, and working on people with numerous, like, re- you know, repeating uh, to work with them. Sure. That's excellent. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, Hyper Light Drifter. You mentioned that was such a, an important or impactful project for you. What was so important about it? I think creatively there are probably other projects that were as important that maybe haven't been as um, talked about. I mean, certainly a game like Mini Metro was an extremely important project for me. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, it's it it doesn't have, it doesn't carry kind of the 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 OMG factor right. that some people would attest to a game like Hyperlight because it's so laid back and like kind of you know kind of intellectual. But um, for Hyperlight, yeah. what can I say about Hyperlight? <laughs> I think I think I really you know it, it's just a it was a new phase like a new experience I knew I, I knew that it was going to be a spiritual successor to Fez in some ways and I think I was accepting of that and so you know that was an interesting challenge in itself to try to create something that's very clearly motivated by a prior experience but to do something new and I think I feel like I've achieved that um, I've read a couple of reviews where people thought it sounded too close they they said they couldn't tell the difference between Fez and Hyperlight Drifter, but to me that I don't see that very much. I think they're pretty different, um, and uh, I feel like I'm fairly happy with how it turned out. But there are a lot of things that I set out to do that didn't really come to fruition, and so I feel like I learned a lot in that process. I learned a lot about setting, um, you know, being too lofty and too front heavy as far as like setting um goals and having you know having concepts and having things worked out like in theory um instead of just like getting into the execution and um just getting in there and getting your hands dirty and 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 seeing how things actually fall because um you know being when when you're too precious with your ideas it, it tends to it tends to handcuff the 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 creative work sure I understand that. And that's something I wanted to ask you too is, you know, like you mentioned, with over 10 years of working with video games and and music and video games, how do you keep things from, 
you know, becoming too repetitive or how do you continue to come up with fresh ideas uh, for your compositions? It, it, I tell you, it gets really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably why I'm so reflective at this stage of my career. It's because it's getting harder and harder to keep, to stay interested in it. Um, there's so many, you know, there's so much, there's so many other things going on. And uh, I, I mean, I'll always love music and I, I don't think I'll ever move away from it. But, you know, it's oh, it's a perpetual kind of like, searching for for meaning and and things that will kind of take me to new places that's fair well uh let's talk about one last thing before we move on to the tail end of our show um let's talk about mini metro and by extension some of the other projects you mentioned that you know some projects like mini metro and other games were maybe more even more artistically satisfying um, than the large successful ones that you and I have already talked about. What are some of the projects that have stuck with you the most and that you are perhaps the most proud of artistically? Yeah, I think Mini Metro is definitely at the top of that list. Um, it was a very um, cathartic game to work on. Um, it was really nice. So so Mini Metro, I, um, I really got into that project after I had scored It Follows, this feature film which was a very emotionally stressful, albeit short, project. And so getting into Mini Metro was very different. It was very intellectual. And so there wasn't a lot of emotional... um, I didn't have a lot of emotional kind of... uh, How would I call it? There wasn't a lot of emotional weight to that experience for me. And so I could kind of be a zombie a little bit um, and just use my brain. (laughs) And I love puzzles. Uh, I'm definitely a puzzle person. And to me, that was like one great big puzzle and trying to figure out, you know, that system and trying to figure out the right design for that game, something that would um, help to communicate the important information to the player while also kind of keeping things somewhat, somewhat meditative while also giving them crucial information about when things are going wrong. Uh, It was just a really interesting challenge and you know, it's a game that has a lot of moving parts. And so I really, I really kind of enjoyed that process of building a procedural system with lots of, lots of whistles. Um, it was, it was a really cathartic process. Also, I got to go to New Zealand for three weeks, which was really, which was really (laughs) awesome. (laughs) That sounds awesome. That's fantastic. It's cool that you are, uh, your work is allowing you to travel, um, for work. It's very cool. For sure. I mean, one thing I would also say about that game is that, uh, a lot of my projects, especially the bigger ones, um, well, I'll say like Fez, for instance, was was one of those projects where it was it was almost entirely self-directed. I mean, I was just doing what I, you know, like I, I was basically directing myself. Um, Hyperlight was more of a 50-50 kind of thing. And It Follows was probably even, even more leaning towards the director, who's very much an auteur. Um, so... Mini Metro was like was the opposite of those. I mean, I was well, it was more like Fez. I was like a hundred percent self directing. Like they, the the team, they knew they wanted a procedural system. They liked my work, and they just said, you know, do what you think. And they were into it from the beginning, and so they just kind of gave me free reign to be creative and to try stuff. And basically, the the golden concept of that whole project for me was um, embracing feature creep as a way to make the the the, mu- the sound interesting <laughs> so you know whenever <laughs> i'd have an idea i would just code it up and see how it works and um that was the creative process we just did that for like six months that's awesome yeah, cool it was great well rich vreeland uh also known as disaster piece um it has been great to talk to you and hear your story um congratulations on your uh impressive career uh, sincerely, is there anything you're working on currently that you can talk about or shouldn't talk about? I know we've already got a new album coming out soon, right? Yep, I've got a new album coming out soon. Um, I haven't really announced anything about it, but it should be out in a couple of months. Um, I'm also working on a uh, another film with the director, David Robert Mitchell, called Under the Silver Lake. Um, so that's coming along pretty well. Great. And... Um, 
going to be working on another game with Heart Machine, the people who made Hyperlight Drifter. And um, I'm also working on a... Uh, I'm working on some cartoons right now. Cartoon Network. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah. All right. So, you've got, <laughs> you've got your plate full. When you said that you were just trying to get through your projects now and, you know, stay sane, that seems fair. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, hey, Rich, I want to ask you just a couple of questions before I let you go um, about maybe on a broader scope about the video game industry. So you've worked in, you know, indie video games for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the trends you're seeing um, in terms of music for video games and especially indie video games? And where do you think music in video games is going? Uh, any any insight on that? Any thoughts? <laughs> I feel like literacy for, for music and games is increasing a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of interest right now in, in kind of the the music, the music, musification, the musicalization of games. <laughs> um, you know, you see it in games like, uh, I was just playing Monument Valley 2 yesterday. Oh, um, I got to pick that up. You know, which is very, which is very musical. You know, they kind of, they kind of add tonality to everything. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, certainly not an, an, a be-all, end-all way to, to do things. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I um, It's hard to, you know, it's hard to generalize and narrow it down. But um, For sure. I, I, I certainly feel like um, there's good stuff around the bend. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um and maybe from the perspective of um, soundtracks and music and video games, this will be different. Um, Obviously, we are all a bit concerned about uh, the quote-unquote indie-pocalypse, the constant uh, stream of video games coming out, um, you know, the Steam marketplace being so full that people's games can't reach consumers. What is it like for somebody making soundtracks to video games um, and music are you worried that you know it's too difficult to make it in this industry anymore are you worried about that for for i get maybe not for yourself but for the uh up and coming uh, composers it's an interesting question i think um i think it's because it's you know because it's a marketplace and it's full of um consumers and creators like and you know there's it's just there's kind of a certain there's a certain chaos to it i think it's going to fluctuate and there's definitely going to be trends one way or the other i think as the number of creators increases and you know who are creating content and it, the bar of entry gets lower for to create content we're seeing um we're maybe seeing like a higher ratio of like creators to consumers right um but i mean at the same time i think um, I think more people are getting into games and are being exposed to games and are playing games. Um, so it seems like it becomes like a, I don't know. It seems more like an economic question. Like, can people afford games? Um, and, uh, I guess it's, you know, it's hoping for the best on that front, but I, you know, it's, it's hard to comment. I'm not really an economist, so I don't really know. No, but that's fair. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't presume to be a, a soothsayer. But, uh, <laughs> that's valuable insight. I mean, you're right. The industry is growing every day on both sides. Right. Yeah. That's mm. Fair enough. Well, it's also kind of a weird thing because I feel like less people are buying games and just watching videos of people playing games, and maybe there's a certain... Maybe there's a certain uh, uh, there's a certain unfortunate quality to that where you know it's certainly the exposure from 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 let's plays and that kind of thing is uh, is good on some level because more people are going to buy those games but also more people are not going to buy them so yeah I I don't know there's there's uh, it's hard it's it's hard to uh, speculate on those because I don't I don't you know I haven't done any studies I haven't really read any so I don't know. I don't know what how the stats measure <laughs> sure. out, but I think that's kind of the, I th- kind of think that that's the the playing field. 
well those, here's maybe a factors here's maybe a related question to you as a freelancer um and you feel free to give me whatever information you feel comfortable giving me um but i'm curious about um your payment for your work on these games so yeah. i imagine sometimes you you would get a flat rate but a lot of the times you would get so much of a percentage of a of you know sales mm-hmm. and how do you decide or how do you figure out you know i have a feeling this game is going to sell well i can actually make some money on this and where am i going to end up you know making nothing how many games are going to fall flat um you know and does that affect your decision making and how you operate sure i mean i i don't know i tend to believe in the projects i work on and i don't maybe i'm just not wired to think about something like a game that i think is really cool feeling like it's going to flop uh but i mean certainly that is a thing that happens i mean there are game <laughs> there are some niche games that you know that game like panoramical for instance this is a really cool game that's just you know hasn't really sold that well or you know i've certainly worked on some games that i thought were really good like the floor is jelly that have barely done any sales at all um and part of that is maybe marketing but at any rate um i you know i try uh, i like doing revenue share i like it 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 adds a certain level of investment like literal investment like you're invested in the success of the project and i really like that concept sure. um and it's um it's definitely what i try to it's what it's what i try to to get uh, on projects um figuring out you know what that is and what it looks like is always a conversation that you need to have with other people on the team and it's it's kind of a tough decision it's very intuitive you have to kind of take take in a lot of factors the number of people working on the project how much they've contributed to it versus what you've contributed to it um how much you feel you deserve how much you feel you need to sustain yourself uh, i mean there's so many factors and there's so many different ways to slice it but right. i do think that working on independent projects in particular um means that you know creative people have more leverage to participate in the success of their own projects and in that way it's that's a really strong way that games specifically independent games distinguish themselves from independent films for instance which are generally not funded by um either the creators or i mean and, and if they um i mean it, you know, I know a lot of games these days are not being funded by the creators either, but there are at least um, sources of funding that are more lenient. Um, so, you know, it's it could always be worse, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, here's something for you. We had another video game composer, um, Danny Baranowski, on mm-hmm. the show a while ago. And one thing, yeah, he's a good guy. And one thing that he talked about on the show was, um, you know, kind of taking the time to manage the business of your work. Um, It's something you mentioned, you know, just now about figuring out what your work is worth and figuring out navigating revenue share and what that looks like. Um, Do you have advice for people out there who, you know, uh, maybe have a hard time representing themselves in that capacity or, or really being the yeah. businessman as opposed or, or woman as opposed to just the creative i mean my advice would be to try to try to um suck up as much knowledge as you can and to try try everything or at least consider doing everything yourself and then you know if you don't feel comfortable with it then um ask for help i mean that's kind of what i've always done and it's worked out pretty well for me um there are, there are areas where i feel competent enough that i can um handle things myself um, for instance, I love spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm like a spreadsheet <laughs> nerd, so I get a certain pleasure out of doing my own accounting. Um, but you know, um, things like there are things like you know legal stuff and and taxes where I felt like I was doing a pretty good job, but I could probably do even better if I hired someone who's a professional and dedicates all of their kind of their thinking to that um, subject. And it so it's helped me. And, but what what hasn't hurt me is all the years that I spent doing those things myself, you know, like having that knowledge already um, as a baseline, it helps you 
it helps you even if you're not going to do those things yourself anymore. You, you know, it helps you to stay engaged and to understand how things work. Um, so, I mean, that's that's always been what I've tried to do. I've tried to do what I can uh, myself as much as possible. But if there are ways that I can um, make my own life less stressful and maybe you know give someone else some some work that they value and, and would like um you know i'm definitely gonna gravitate towards that sure that's some sound advice well i have one last question for you and it's that from listening to your story on how you got to where you are it seems like a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time and connecting with the right people you know whether it was connecting with the development team of fez uh, when you're at a concert or whether it's you know um you know, it's any number of things, people you connected with. Um, how do you go about seizing those opportunities and making yourself available to seizing those opportunities? Um, is there For any sure. insight you can share on that? I think there's a quote, I don't remember who, but it's like 90% of success is showing up. And it's really true. It's like uh, so much of it is just about making yourself available and just kind of doing what you do, doing your thing. And, you know, being willing to present that publicly and outwardly. Um, I mean, and I think that's what served me so well all these years is um, you have to be, uh, you just, you just, you have to be there. You have to be there in order to say yes to things. And then when you get to a certain point, then you can start saying no to stuff. But, you know, certainly early on, you just have to be you just have to be there. You have to have a strong presence, whether you know it's strong web presence, going to events, meeting people, um, just being willing to put yourself out there a little bit. You don't have to, you don't have to force it super hard. I mean, I, I certainly am not the most social person, but I still would go. To, you know, still go to GDC every year. I've been, I've gone maybe, gosh, I, I think I've been to GDC like ten years in a row or something. Oh wow! Um, and I got one of my very first gigs at GDC just just by overhearing a conversation. So I mean, and you know, I'm not like the most like I said, I'm not the most outgoing person, but you know, chiming in on something that I know something about, like it was a conversation about chip music, and so that's something that I could talk about pretty easily without being like a very you know uh, outgoing person. So I mean, I think it's uh, yeah, I just think it's you gotta. Um, you got to rely on what you know and, and just be yourself and uh, make friends so that you have people that you can talk to about this stuff, that you can help each other in, in all kinds of ways. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times the best work partners or collaborators are people who are um, around your age or people who are in similar situations. Um, and that's certainly been true for me. Well, Rich, we've reached the end of our show. And, of course, at the end of every episode of Indie Insider, I do ask my guests to share a piece of advice. Now, you've just shared a bunch of advice, uh, mm-hmm. which was which was fantastic. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. But is there anything else you'd like to send people home with today? Yeah, um, I guess I would say I think it's really important to be willing to adapt. Uh, you know, life is kind of like a wave. <laughs> You know, it's only, I mean, you certainly have some agency, but a lot of it is out of your control. And so you kind of just have to, a lot of times you have to go with the flow. Uh, but, and you also, I think, you know, if you're trying to get somewhere, sometimes you're going to have, you got to have the courage to take risks. Um, you know, especially if it means, you know, staying true to, to who you are, or, you know, staying, you know, staying authentic, um, but like I said, you know, you also have to try stuff to figure out what that is. And that, that's certainly, that's certainly um, what I've tried to do. And I think it's worked out. <laughs> I think it's worked out okay. So I guess, I guess that's what I'd say. You know, be yourself as much as you can. You know, I think it's worked out really well for you, Rich. And I have had a pleasure talking to you. Um, before I let you go, Rich... If people have loved chatting with you um, or loved hearing us chat and want to know more about you or follow your work or what you're up to, um, how do they find you out on those interwebs? Um, I have a quick 
a quick URL. It's uh, disaster.pizza. So if you go there, that's my website. <laughs> you can find my music, my blog, which has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of content about my work. And um, I'm DisasterPeace on Twitter. And uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me. This was absolutely fantastic. I knew it was going to be great. Thank you. Awesome. That's video game composer Rich Vreeland, also known as Disasterpiece. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. This podcast is presented by Blackshell Media a publishing and marketing firm dedicated to helping independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. It's the company's mission to help game developers get more of what they want out of a rewarding opportunity in the game industry, more fans, and sustainable revenue to keep them moving forward. Blackshell Media also has an educational branch to their company, where they offer free articles and resources for aspiring and growing developers, which is why we get to bring this show to you every single week. You can find Blackshell Media on the web at blackshellmedia.com and on Twitter at blackshellmedia. This show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Blackshell Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes each week with you. Special thanks this week goes out to Raghav Mather, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week. <laughs>